When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Theodore Conrad, who was also known as Thomas Randall? Theodore Conrad was born in Denver, Colorado, on July 10, 1949. His father, Edward, was an officer in the Navy, and the family moved frequently. Conrad had one sister. In 1958, his parents divorced, and his mother settled in Lakewood, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. Conrad's mother remarried shortly afterward. Conrad graduated from high school and enrolled at New England College in New Hampshire. His father was a professor at that college. Things didn't work out for Conrad there. After completing one semester, he moved back to Cleveland and attended a community college. Conrad took a job as a teller at Society National Bank in downtown Cleveland in January of 1969. One of his jobs was to deliver cash to bank branches and other tellers. When a branch needed more money, he would package it and drive it out to them. He was handling hundreds of thousands of dollars every day. Thomas became fascinated with the 1968 movie, The Thomas Crown Affair. He saw the movie at least six times. This film stars Steve McQueen as a bank executive who steals $2.6 million simply to prove that he could do it. Conrad became fascinated with the idea that he could get away with crimes. He started shoplifting simply to prove he could get away with it. He started imitating Steve McQueen's character from the movie. He played golf, drank expensive alcohol, spoke French, and drove an MG sports car. It would appear that he became lost in fantasy. Conrad would tell his friends how the money at the bank was not well protected. He could easily steal it if he wanted to. If he took money from the bank on Friday, no one would notice it was missing until Monday. On July 11, 1969, which was a Friday and the day after Conrad turned 20, Conrad called one of his friends and said he had selected that day to steal money from the bank. His supervisor was having surgery that day and would not be at work. During a break at work, Conrad made his way to a nearby liquor store and purchased a bottle of Canadian Club whiskey and a carton of Marlboro cigarettes. The items were contained in a brown paper bag. At 4.30 p.m., surveillance cameras caught Conrad exiting with the paper bag. He had filled it with $215,000 in cash from the bank vault. In today's dollars, this is equivalent to about $1.6 million. Conrad returned to his apartment. He departed at 7.26 p.m. in a taxi which took him to Cleveland Hopkins International Airport. Once there, 
He boarded a flight for an unknown destination. Conrad told his girlfriend that he was flying to a rock concert in Erie, Pennsylvania. Later, he sent her letters that were postmarked from airports in Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles. He admitted that he was guilty and expressed remorse for his decision. He thought that the statute of limitations would run out and he could simply return to Cleveland. This would have been true if he was never identified, but everyone knew who he was. He was actually indicted, so the statute of limitations did not apply. The FBI started investigating after the bank reported the theft. They interviewed family and friends of Conrad. They looked all over the place for him, but they had no success finding him. It was like he disappeared in the thin air. Investigators believe that Conrad initially traveled to Washington before flying to Los Angeles based on the letters that he sent to his girlfriend. He then moved frequently to various places throughout the United States. The last credible sighting occurred in October of 1969. A married couple reported that they had a conversation with a man at a bar. They later realized this was Theodore Conrad. Conrad had told them he was living in an apartment near the Honolulu Zoo. In late 1969, Conrad communicated with a friend of his and indicated that he had changed his appearance radically. This was the last clue the authorities received in reference to the case of Theodore Conrad. The case went cold. We now know that Conrad made his way to Boston, Massachusetts in January of 1970 and changed his name to Thomas Randall. Boston happens to be the location where most of the Thomas Crown Affair was filmed. Conrad met a woman named Kathy not long after moving to Boston. They married in 1982 and would go on to have a daughter. Conrad really didn't do a great job of differentiating his new identity from his actual identity. Many of the lies that he perpetuated to create Thomas Randall were close to the truth. Conrad indicated that his date of birth was July 10, 1947, and that he was born in Denver. His real birthday was exactly two years later, and of course he was born in Denver. Conrad attended New England College as Thomas Randall, the same place he had attended under his real name years before. He told people the real first names of his parents. He just changed the last name to Randall. While in Boston, Conrad worked at a luxury car dealership for over 40 years. He sold Volvos and Land Rovers. Ironically, Conrad avoided the horrors of prison only to sentence unsuspecting Land Rover buyers to years of maintenance nightmares. Conrad liked to play golf, and one of his favorite TV shows was NCIS. One of his friends was an FBI agent, who would later state that he had no clue who Conrad was. Conrad never did anything that indicated he could have been some type of criminal. In 2014, Conrad and his wife filed for bankruptcy, the couple was carrying $160,000 in credit card debt and didn't have much in the way of assets. It's not clear what happened to all the money that Conrad had stolen. Investigators believed he may have lost it through bad investments. At some point, Conrad developed lung cancer. Before his death in 2020, at age 71, he confessed to his family that he was the notorious Theodore Conrad. The family members never told the authorities but investigators noticed the obituary and became curious about the names of Conrad's parents and other clues. The authorities visited the family and they admitted that Conrad had told them he was responsible for the bank robbery. 
Investigators said that the family members would not be charged for failing to report Conrad's admission. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Now moving to my analysis. Let's take a look at the description of Conrad's personality offered by people who knew him as Thomas Randall. He was described as a gentleman, a good man, well-spoken, polite, a gentle soul. They said he had good control over his emotions. He did not get angry very often. Overall, there's this impression that everybody really liked him. He was a great guy who fit into the community very well. The only thing that people noticed that was a little off was the fact that Conrad would never talk about his childhood, his parents, or extended family members. It was like his life didn't start until he moved to Boston. Moving to the next question, how did Conrad manage to get away with his crime? He was never arrested for the bank robbery. He was never arrested for anything in his life. It was almost like he just walked away and started over. No one was able to stop him. Investigators were at a disadvantage from the very beginning with this case for a number of reasons. Conrad committed his crime on July 11, 1969, which was a Friday. The money wasn't detected missing until Monday, July 14. Just two days later, on July 16, Apollo 11 launched into space on its way to the moon at 9.32 a.m. The media coverage was heavily focused on this historic event and not on some kid who walked out of a bank with money in a paper bag. Conrad did not use a weapon. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't cause any damage of any type. The theft didn't even get attention in Cleveland, much less anywhere else in the country. In 1969, it was not difficult to obtain a new identity. It's fairly difficult these days, but back then, it did not require any special skill to do. There was no internet in 1969. This was to Conrad's advantage in a number of ways, not the least of which is it limited how effectively law enforcement could get information about the case to the public. The bank where Conrad worked and helped himself to some cash did not fingerprint the employees. Conrad did not have a criminal record, so his fingerprints were not available anywhere. Once Conrad was in Boston, he lived a fairly low-profile existence. He did make some key mistakes, like using his parents' first names, attending a college where he had previously attended, 
and only moving his birth date by two years. But for the most part, he really didn't attract attention. It sounds like Conrad had a very friendly and likable attitude. There was no reason for anybody to be suspicious of him. He's the last person anyone would have expected to be responsible for such a crime. I find it interesting that Conrad did leave some clues and take some chances. It's almost like he really didn't want to give up the identity of Theodore Conrad. He wanted to hang on to who he once was, even though he was living as Thomas Randall. His choice of careers, car salesman, put him in touch with the public on a daily basis. This is not the best career choice for somebody on the run from the law. I think that Conrad's secret was something that weighed heavy on him. There was no need for him to make a deathbed confession, but I think he wanted to clear the air. I don't think he was worried about people figuring out who he was after he died. Maybe this was actually his fear, that no one would know he was actually Theodore Conrad. It was better for Conrad to identify himself and be remembered as a man who made some poor choices than to be misidentified as Thomas Randall. He did not want his friends and relatives believing something that was untrue. He wanted them to love him and remember him as he truly was, Theodore Conrad and not Thomas Randall. In a sense, in his last moments, he paid his family and friends a compliment. He offered them the truth, something he hadn't offered to anybody in 50 years. Conrad had been unwilling for many years to take responsibility for his crime, but that doesn't mean he enjoyed living a lie. Some people are angry at Theodore Conrad because he escaped responsibility, because he beat the system, but I don't think he beat it completely. He paid the price of being separated from everyone he knew, everyone he loved. He lived his life with the sword of Damocles dangling above his head, wondering if each moment of freedom would be his last. He had to look over his shoulder all the time. He had to lie to everyone continually. Ever since he committed the crime, Conrad did have the ability to end his isolation and deception. He could have turned himself in. He would have been convicted of a felony and probably spent less than five years in prison. I find it interesting that he chose to live on the run his entire life instead of just doing his time. He took the money believing he could beat the system. When he realized that he couldn't, he committed to that life on the run. Now moving to my final thoughts. Theodore Conrad escaped the criminal justice system and lived a fairly normal and productive life. I think this story underscores the flawed nature of the criminal justice system. If Conrad had been sent to prison, his employment prospects would have been limited. The contribution he could make to society, restricted. He would have been forever defined by one bad act. Perhaps this case is a reminder that the criminal justice system's harsh punishments and permanent records may bring satisfaction to victims, but they destroy the potential good and the perpetrators. The balance between punishment and rehabilitation is delicate and not always clear-cut. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. 
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.